Attention, please. Eastern Airlines Flight 19, now ready for departure. Welcome aboard the Walt Disney World Express Monorail. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we're entering the vacation kingdom of the world. There's enough land here to hold all of the ideas and plans we could possibly imagine. We call it Epcot. Will be our experimental prototype city of tomorrow. Welcome to another episode of the Retro Disney World Podcast. Taking you back to the vacation kingdom of the world, the way it was, and the way it is in your memories. All right, welcome to another episode of the Retro Disney World Podcast, the official podcast of the Lake Buena Vista Historical Society. This is episode 71, on purpose to celebrate the 50th anniversary of Walt Disney World this month. I'm your host, Todd McCartney, and sitting in with me for this recording, as always, Mr. J.T. Couser. How are you doing tonight, J.T.? I'm good. How did you plan this out back in 2014 <laughs> to be episode 71, October? That's crazy. It, it, some, is, it is crazy, huh? Episode I'd 71. say that's the, the biggest surprise of this whole thing. So. I think we realized about six, seven episodes ago, we're like, oh, if we time this right, it could, it could work. So here we are. And then what episode's going to be more special, 71 or 100, if we make it to 100? I hope we make it to 100. I want to be there for it, so that's what I'm looking forward to. And coming into us from the city that is always in season is Mr. Hal Bowers. How are you doing tonight, Hal? Aloha. I'm doing fine. How are you? Did you know that was a little nomenclature for your city? I I did not realize that we were the city that was always in season. I've been doing a little research on the St. Pete area, so uh, we've got a couple more stored away. I mean, that just goes to show you how awesome we are. We have like 25,000 nicknames, apparently. Exactly. And it's always in season. You can go outside or inside anytime you want, whether you want to cool off or sweat. So (laughs) (laughs) That's true. (laughs) So, all right. And also coming in from Philadelphia, Mr. Brian P. Malaniels. How are you doing tonight, Brian? Greetings and salutations from the city of brotherly love. The only name we've had since the uh, since the union was formed. That's, so. Yeah, and we'll, and we'll keep it at that. You're close enough to the city as we I talked think ben about. Ben Franklin that. called us that. I think that's where the name comes from. So. Speaking of Ben Franklin, I was actually going through some older footage this evening, and the Ben Franklin character in Liberty Square made an appearance on oh. the film. So that's a, a rare little clip we're going to get to that see. That is soon. a rare thing. Yeah. We have a lot to talk about tonight, gentlemen. This is the 50th anniversary of Walt Disney World. We are going to do corrections and comments as well as a couple of listener mails here because last month we went back to the Monster Sound Show. And my goodness, first of all, we recorded in stereo. We're not doing that tonight. So people don't adjust your you know stereos and trying to see if Hal's on the left or I'm on the right. Um, that was quite a monster edit, if I do say so myself. And uh, just like the show, I think I had close to uh, 60 or 70 different sound clips and, you know, special effects that we added in. So I hope everybody enjoyed it. Gentlemen, what did what did you think? Because I had an absolute blast putting it together, but I was exhausted. It was the longest edit I've ever done. So thank you for your service, Todd. Oh, you're welcome. Al. <laughs> Lots of sound drops. I love a good sound drop. Exactly. We had Tom Cruise even come in, right? He's yes, he's been did. mentioned multiple times, and uh, and how you <laughs> did a great job. All of you did a great job on your sound effects machines too. So I gotta gotta compliment you. So, all thank right. you, sir. Yeah, you're very welcome. Very welcome. 
So with that, JT, I, we had a lot of questions come in about the uh, about the Monster Sound Show and comments and things. So what did we get this month? One of the big ones, and we got it from a few people, but uh, I have one here from Scott. He says, just listen to this podcast. Always enjoy going back with you guys. The first time I actually checked out the sound stage was when they already switched over to the Drew Carey version. He remembers bees. Here's a quick question. Do you think the sound booth rooms they used at uh, Disney MGM are the same ones they have at the Animal Kingdom? I've done those a few times. They seem to be exactly what you described on the podcast. Maybe they repurposed them. Anybody have any info on that? I don't know if they move them over, and, and I have to admit uh, how we completely forgot about those sound booths over at Animal Kingdom. We did. Well, that just, I think, is a testament to how tucked away they were. <laughs> Where were they? Is, is what I'm trying to think. They're they're in Conservation Station, aren't they? Yes. So Rafiki's, you, right? Uh, Rafiki's now is Rafiki's Planet Watch. Yeah. Yes. Yep. I I am permanently in Animal Kingdom circa 1999. Yeah, one one dot there. So we. I thought you were talking about two separate places. I didn't even know this. <laughs> so if you walked into Conservation Station, I think you just kind of headed towards the back. There was uh, this area sort of. There were like cardboard cutout trees to kind of get you go back. To that place called the. Well, that's that's always a weenie and a lure to get you in, huh? Cardboard yeah. trees. Yeah, well, I guess plywood, not so much cardboard. I just knew, I yeah, I just knew when you got back there, off that train, and past the petting zoo, right? That's where the petting zoo is. Yes. Uh, you would go inside, and you could see them like doing surgery on a monkey or an orangutan, like they'd be taken out of spleen or something. <laughs> it, or you go over and have like some displays and read about the ecology and Jiminy Cricket. I swear the first time I ever did a Jiminy Cricket meet and greet was back there. Oh. Uh, they would just have him standing there in Conservation Station. He's got environmentality, then, you know. Absolutely. He was their, uh, like their official mascot of Earth Day and stuff. Recycling. And then, yep. And then uh, they were just these booths, because there wasn't a lot to do back there. Uh, and they would have the, like, you just would happen upon these these sound booths to go in and listen to, like, nature sounds and Got one email here from Dave. He kind of goes into it. He says uh, he remembers a set of six soundproof booths in Rafiki's Planet Watch where you could listen to the sounds of nature. I believe each booth had two sets of headphones and you could listen to a selection of sounds like the rainforest and things like that. He remembers sitting in one in either 96 or 98 for probably half an hour with his brother while they enjoyed the experience. The whole time my parents had no idea where we were and were frantically searching the whole of the Planet Watch area. I believe the booths are still there along the west wall, but not in use any longer. Anyway, I just thought it went along with the sounds theme and wanted to know if my mind made the whole thing up or if anyone else remembers this. So that's from Dave. So I heard recently that they were removed and they were replaced with um, a Disney animation display. Oh. So I think they are gone. Now, the thing we'd have to figure out, Todd, is whether they were removed at Disney MGM at the and then opened if they were actually physically transported from a place to the other, which I don't think they were because honestly, honestly, it's just a room, it's just yeah. a room. I can't imagine the rooms, but maybe maybe the speakers or if that really was expensive technology. But then again, it you know, this is it, many years later, it's headphones advances. and yeah. a laser disc player or a CD player. It's really not a right. super, you know, a control basically it was like one button that would go to a show control to dim the lights and start playing, you know. A CD player that probably had uh, time code on it, so how, it was it was not super complicated. 
how you're getting me excited because if it's not super complicated, we could build one of these. Oh, we could 100% build one of these. I think we need to. That And then we'll do our I world, mean, then we'll build world cake. Todd, if I can build <laughs> a styrofoam head to walk around and record in 3D sound, certainly I can record something to turn off some lights. I mean, we could all do this now with our, you know, Alexa devices and smart home stuff. We don't, we don't even need fancy things we could say you know alexa play sound stations and the lights could dim right and she could start playing the music so i encourage everyone to like set this up in your homes now because uh because it should be easy <laughs> okay so that's the sound booth we had quite a few of those we also had some good celebrity stories which i saved up here for everybody first one is from somebody with a Great name, Brian. He says, uh, good morning, gentlemen. I wanted to combine two things, uh, Foley and celebrity sightings. In the early 2000s, we were having dinner at Cinderella's Royal Table. Seated at the table across from us was professional wrestler Mick Foley and his family. He tried to snap uh, an inconspicuous picture, but forgot to turn the flash off on his camera. <laughs> he shot me a look that clearly stated he was less than pleased with my unsolicited photo op. I'm sure he's a nice guy and might have been fine with it if I'd asked, but after that look, I was too intimidated to try. So, Brian, we appreciate that. That's that's a good one. Uh, I'm just curious if the photo came out or did you you know do the the cover up real fast in the middle of that? But this being the early 2000s, I'm guessing he had a uh, actual film camera, and uh, when that flash went off, I mean, unless it was like some kind of red eye reduction thing, that that it should have taken. So. If you have the picture, Brian, share it with us. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And on our second celebrity story, this is from Katie. She says uh, she's listening to the Blaze Pleasure Island podcast. Great job. She had an anecdote to share related to celebrity sightings and being able to stay in the castle suite uh, in the year outside of the year of a million dream sweepstakes. So that promotion must have ended. And she was an event planner working at Disney World and handled many of the catering and event logistics for the talent performing at the 2010 Disney Christmas Parade. Mariah Carey and her family stayed in the castle suite for the taping of her segment. It is my understanding that this was offered to her. As one would expect, she had an extensive talent rider which included a certain type of couch and some pretty wacky things to ask for. She did stay at resorts on property at other times that she visited or performed. Do you think the couch was like those big red lips? Like, you know, you know it's like 80s. Oh, like a Pee Wee Herman cherry and, yeah. red and the lips. Yeah, that's right. Could I'm imagining Spencer them. gifts. Did they, they must have sold that. that <laughs> it's actually an inflatable couch. That's they, the, it sounds like a hammock or Schlemmer item. Yeah. Jeez, I remember those couches being for sale in some catalog for a while there. Yeah, absolutely. They must have been. They, there, I believe it's called the Maryland because it was supposed to be fashioned after her lips. Very famous, oh. very famous couch, the Maryland couch. Oh. The May West. What other May West? What lips. other podcast do you get that talks about a lip-shaped couch? Yeah. Well, here it is. It was the May West lip sofa. It's a sculpture in the form of a sofa by Salvador Dali. Oh, That's where we're coming from. all back to St. Pete. There we right? go. Yeah, Not Salvador that. Dali Museum. And uh, yeah. let's see, on twomodern.com, $1,100 will get you one. But there's a miniature version on lumens.com for three eighty. dollars So, uh, oh, well, we go. should this... get, get that for the next rest, retro. Do you know what would be great for Yvonne? <laughs> That'll be her. Yvonne is one of our big listeners. I would like her to interview the big lips with the tiny microphone. 
Oh, that's a great idea. Don't you think that would be fantastic? <laughs> I think that's fantastic. Now, we don't know if Mariah actually sat on this couch. It's just as uh, you guys just went off here on this. Hmm. But now, this is interesting. There is a Marilyn Monroe lip sofa. So I wonder if that's, oh, a, comp- I wonder if that's a competition to the... Uh, or, or a, a, a production version of the May West one. Because this, this one is apparently made in Italy in 1971. All right, now hear me out. Let's say it was the lip sofa that Mariah Carey wanted in the castle suite. Mm-hmm. Did they have to bring that down Main Street? Or is there a utilidor under the castle that they can take it up hidden? Or yes. was that lip sofa? Oh, there is. Yes, yeah. there is a utilidor and a um, and a freight elevator. No in, kidding. In the castle, no. They, yes, because they got to get all the food stuff. Yeah. In, How do you think King Stefan had a banquet without anybody seeing what he was serving? Right. His, his servants did That's it right. all. Just, just through the through you know the what do they call it <laughs> the keep up to the keep and yeah, yeah they would right, they would well. catapult whole sides <laughs> oh, of beef up, right. up into the upper windows. <laughs> Chickens flying over. If we didn't say right. at the beginning of the show that we don't do not have show notes for tonight, so it is going to be a little uh, a little free form as we move forward here. Just right. like Walt Disney World in the early days. Exactly. Yeah. No plans. Monorail might be going clockwise, it might be going counterclockwise today. You don't know. All right. Well, speaking of monorails, Todd, uh, Michael mm-hmm. Landis wrote us and uh, he said, Hey guys, a couple episodes ago you briefly talked about the monorail and how riding in the front was super awesome and why we can't do it anymore. He says, we neglected an important part of the experience, the monorail driver's license. That's right. And he uh, he sent us a picture of one, and I'm not sure if you guys have one of these, but it was like a little business card they'd give you after you rode up front and yep. write your name on it and all that. So I did get you, one Michael. years ago. There was also a monorail pilot's certificate they would give you. I have one of those. It was an 8.5 by 11 that was done in the 90s. Uh, if it's not scanned on the site, I will, uh, I'll make sure that we do get it scanned in there. But, uh, yeah, there was a, and there was also, uh, the Grand Prix Raceway had, um, even up into the early 2000s, they gave away driver's license as well. Oh, they, you can, yeah, you can they buy still, one now. Oh, you like gotta buy it. I'm sorry. Kiosk. Okay. Oh, that well, was my, that was my favorite little giveaway. Yeah. It's, little. A, it's a nice we, thing. It was a, uh, actually I saw, saw them again. It wasn't a race car license. It was a, um, a thing that you joined their like race team. Oh. You were officially a member of the race team. Look at that. You go over to Pirates, though, they charged it for the doubloon, but they're Pirates, so. <laughs> That's their whole deal. That's their deal. Okay, so thank you, Michael. Next up is from Miranda, and this is just a, a general question she wanted answered, and I thought it'd be nice to throw in something simple for the uh, for the fellas here. She says, when did the Plaza Restaurant in Magic Kingdom open in its current location? Was there a secondary location, perhaps? So the so here's part of the confusion, perhaps, is that there are two, or there were at one time two restaurants that had the word Plaza attached to it. There was the Plaza Pavilion, which is the small restaurant next to the Borden Ice Cream. Well, now it's Edie's Ice Cream Store, on the right hand side of Main Street as you turn and go towards Tomorrowland, but. Um, actually, no, that's the Plaza restaurant. But next to that was the very large Plaza Pavilion restaurant, which is now called uh, the Tomorrowland Terrace. So I'm not sure which one of those two restaurants you might be talking about. At one point, that door was actually open between the two. And right. then uh, and then that was closed up. So it, it, is, it is possible that it started out as an indoor 
uh, more indoor seating for the ice cream parlor because the ice cream parlor has no in, in no indoor seating. And then as the Magic Kingdom was desperate for restaurants after the debacle of you know October December of 1971, I, I think it became quickly a freestanding um, restaurant on its own um, because all of a sudden during that time period there was an explosion of restaurants where they built you know the plaza pavilion and they got chicken and fish open which which is the uh columbia harbor house and the veranda venture and veranda opened up and you know they they had a they added the seasonal you know el, el, the pirate and the parrot restaurant and all of a sudden there were like restaurants like crazy because there was there were hardly any restaurants open um you know when when the magic kingdom opened up in uh, october of 71 hey you could get ham and cheese sandwiches what more did you need? you could you could absolutely get ham and cheese sandwiches i mean why would you pass up the money cristo on main street you couldn't couldn't do that but but yeah so write, write us back and let us know if we're in the in the ballpark on the plaza restaurant you're talking about all right miranda we're passing it back to you so next one and final one this one uh, is going to encompass a uh a few different messages we got. This is from Joe. He says, Great podcast. Wish it was more than monthly. On the recent episode, you asked listeners if there were celebrities that showed up in more than one attraction at Disney Parks. And we got quite a few messages about this. Uh, I'm going to name the couple that uh, Joe says, and you guys can chime in with the other ones you heard. Uh, he mentioned Walter Cronkite being narrator in Spaceship Earth and Epcot. And he also appeared with Robin Williams in the the film that was at the animation building. And some people were actually giving us the name of that film. Oh, Back to uh, Neverland. There you go. Yep. And, uh, yeah, so, I mean, there's a few that we got. Uh, was Martin Short brought up, I believe, in a couple uh, things? Right. Oh, uh, right. brought that up. Walter Cronkite, Robin Williams. Um, there, was, there was another individual, too. Oh, Gary Sinise, right? Somebody said yeah. it, was, it was Gary Sinise, but I don't believe we found that. And then, yeah, well, they ended up correcting themselves. They confused him with. They thought he was in the test track film for some reason. Right, right. Yeah. And then the other one was uh, was it Bill Nye the Science Guy was in. Bill Nye the Science Guy came up a lot. Uh, Walt Disney came up a lot. <laughs> he visited all four parks. Yeah, well, he was in a lot of different attractions. Then he had that so. dish of ice cream every night yeah. there. Every night. Every That's <laughs> why they put the ice cream facing Magic Kingdom. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah that's uh it was it wasn't a, a anything too groundbreaking we heard uh, you know we kind of named a few we got a couple other ones but like we were hoping there'd be someone we didn't didn't catch but there was a few out there so thanks joe for that all right that's going to do it for listener mail this month if you have something to tell us a story uh memory or any questions write us podcast at retrowdw.com. Uh, any and all messages have a chance to be read live on a future episode and we look forward to getting all of your your notes every month so thank you for sending those all right gentlemen well it's about time we started to talk about the 50th here before we do that i think um we also are you turning 50 time uh, almost i got a couple more years yet so we'll, we'll celebrate that maybe you, know, we, you and i turned 50 together that's I right think, yeah so. only a few months apart you're uh, my brother from another mother only a few months apart my other twin so um yeah so what's amazing about this 2021 uh, gentlemen i wanted to take a a moment too to so in six years we've accomplished 71 full episodes and a handful of uh what do we call the mini episodes or the interviews and stuff so if if anybody's concerned we're not running out of topics yet right how we've got 
Lou and I are working on a few things and we're busting myths. We're doing research. We got a lot of different things to. Oh my gosh, the work, (laughs) the work we've been doing on a couple of very obscure topics (laughs) is uh, ridiculously amazing. Well, we want to put some things. Is one of the topics Walt's favorite flavor of ice cream? (laughs) Scotch mist. Scotch Scotch and cigarettes. Ash and Scotch. That's what it's called. Now, now you're giving me ideas for retro magic. Scotch mist ice cream. Here we go. Just you know, a little. Right that would be the dessert. Do that. That could be right nice. That's the, the VIP hour. only event. That's the. Yeah, that's <laughs> pretty good. So we were really struggling what to do about a 50th anniversary episode because you know we can go back and oh do top 50 this or top 25 times two or, but um we had discussed a couple different options and nothing really rang true to how do you celebrate all that's happened in Walt Disney world for 50 years. Plus we're retro focused and we want to focus on what has happened in the past. We've got that 25 year rule that well, we bend it down then. Uh, but I, I, you know, I think the important part is, is what Brian came up with. So I'm going to let him here in a second, tell everybody a little bit about what we're going to do tonight. Cause we're going to turn it into a little more of a personal story, if you will. Right, Brian. Well, uh, the, the reason most people listen to our show uh, is because they have memories of the parks and the resort uh, in their past uh, as they experience them, as they remember them, that means something to them. There's a connection there, which is why they want to listen to us talk about the way things used to be, uh, either, the, either experiencing them or having an interest in them because the parks mean something to them today. And so as we try to think of what we should talk about for this momentous occasion, uh, what we really decided uh, was, you know, it was it means something to each of us, too. And each of us have stories of experiences there, things we love, things that mean something to us, uh, that this would be a good opportunity to share them and talk about them and, you know, probably spare some of you to talk about your own um, memories that you have there and reasons that the parks are important to you because they're important to a lot of people. I mean, we meet so many passionate people uh, who who care about certain things in these parks and and uh, it's great to have a community to share that with. Right. So we're going to all kind of go through some of the memories and things that, you know, some of these stories you may have heard about before and, you know, certainly some of them for our new listeners will be new stories. Uh things that brought us together, things that, uh, memories we have and, and things that are important to us as, as individuals and our families of, and how we relate to Walt Disney world. I know my story is unique to house, which is unique to JT's and which is unique to Brian, but we all have a common thread in, in what we enjoy, uh, especially the historical aspect of it too. So, um, I, I guess gentlemen who would like to go first and start to discuss what well, I think we can, <clears throat> I think we can, uh, you know, probably do round robins here, where we each kind of throw one out as we go around. Okay. And uh, but I'll 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 talk about a couple of things first. One of the one of the things, you know, as you ponder, and we I think we do that a little more than most people as we think about the parks and why they connect to people. One experience I've had more than once there is the ability to disconnect when you're there. And, and, and it is unique to Walt Disney world because it's a self-contained 43 square mile complex that if you are staying on property or spending your time just on the border of property, uh, when you're there, uh, particularly in the era before, uh, smartphones were 
attached to our hips. But when I'm there, I find I am less engaged in social media. I'm not constantly checking Twitter. I'm not, I do look at Instagram maybe when I'm in the line. Uh, But for the most part, when I'm there, the outside world is not around. Uh, And I have a couple of memories of things that happened there uh, that speak to this. One of them was I happened to be there the week of the Sandy Hook shootings, the school shootings, uh, when a bunch of elementary school kids were killed. Uh, and I am so thankful I was there because I was not watching the news. I, I became aware that it happened, but I was there with my sister and her family and a friend of mine. And I remember standing in Epcot the one night, uh, next to my friend, uh, who, who, you know, had seen the news, uh, the day before and we were watching, uh, illuminations and she was crying. Now, Illuminations was one of them that, in fact, I have it on my list tonight, that always would bring a tear to my eye as I got older and sentimental about it. I just always thought it was a beautiful show. But she turned to me at one point, she says, I don't understand how everybody is just going about their lives right now, but I do. And, you know, when you're in those parks, there's just, I mean, isn't that what Walt wanted? You know, his idea was to create a place that would kind of surrounds you and envelope you and and leave their cares of the world outside. And so that's one example. I do have a more personal one, although I, I always think of military families too. You see them there. Disney has marketed heavily to them even before Shades of Green was on the property as a military resort. You know, when these men and women who were stationed overseas away from their families come home, uh, the way Shades of Green got there was the Department of Defense surveyed their members as to where they would like a, they would most want a rec, uh, rest and recreation place created. And the overwhelming survey of service members was Orlando, Florida. And that's how Shades of Green got there. Uh, it's the first domestic uh, rest and relaxation facility built by the military. Uh, and, you know, I love seeing those families walking through the parks and, you know, they've been away from each other. God knows what the what the the service member has been through and they just want to come and experience something with their family and be immersed with them. And they get to do that there. My last story along this lines um, is a woman who was the superintendent of our school system here years back uh, was a was a friend. And she lost her husband to cancer at a fairly young age. Her her daughter was six or seven at the time. Uh, and as a lot of families do after they go something through something that traumatic, she decided to take her daughter to Disney World a few months later. Uh, I don't believe it was a coincidence, but it was during the year of a million dreams. And they were selected as the family to stay in the castle uh, for the for the night when they got there. And so, you know, going through this traumatic thing, taking her daughter away, trying to get their mind off things. I am sure someone probably told Disney about this family that was coming and what they'd been through. Uh, But, you know, just what a memory, what a special place, what a special role that it plays in the lives of people who are looking to to escape and get away. Yeah. Brian, I have to check off. Uh, I had something on my list of 10 here that says a feeling of away from everything on there. And I, I echo that. And as a child, I remember being there and seeing a newspaper sitting on the Polynesian check-in desk and going, oh, wow, the, there's news. There's stuff going on because you did check out that much. Uh, 
and it is very easy to completely get away from absolutely everything you know in today's I, I love that you say that you get away from social media because i feel that same way i get away from that i get away from email i get away from the everyday there is um an escape quality to that resort that i've yet to find something else that pulls you that distant from your everyday life um now how you you might feel a little different you're living close to it for many years and going off and you might not have that same feeling. So I'm curious to see what what you say to it, or do you, you get that? And as I got older, I think that feeling of away from everything started to get away a little bit, but I made sure that I, when I go down there, I, I want to feel that way, and, and I've been able to maintain it, which is, which is great. Yeah, so <laughs> I, think, I think some of the issue with me, um, I, I definitely felt uh somewhat like that and i'll get into that when i i have a whole thing about that <laughs> especially for when i was younger that i'll get into um later but as as i got older i i, I personally felt like that bubble kind of disappeared and and i think mm-hmm. a lot of that is the familiarity with it being yeah. an annual pass holder you know when i was at the height of going going every other weekend for two, three years, it's like that definitely takes away the specialness of it. And the, uh, it, it gives you an intimacy to the park that is different from when you're a visitor. And the only, the only way I can try to describe it. And if we have any cast members who are listening, I think they're probably going to feel that you know, something to this. I, I used to work at this restaurant when I was a teenager called GD Ritzy's. And I remember I would go to the restaurant when I was, uh, before I worked there and order burgers and like, and then I started working there. And once you start working someplace and you're there all the time, you <laughs> have a very different view of what the space looks like. You suddenly see the space in a different way. And even after I quit and it like came back again, it's like once you've mopped the floor and been in the freezer and like, you can't interact with that space. Um, like you did if, if it's your first or second time going there, you just, you just know it all too well and you have all, all this stuff attached to it. So it's definitely a lot more different, difficult. I think for, for me or someone who goes all the time, yeah um you know to have that that pure escapism like like you wish you would um, i i i did did feel that pure escapism i think what's interesting is that when we did do trips six months apart you know you would be sitting on a ride and and i was just here six months all right well we'll go through so i can only imagine what it would be like for a park holder uh to try to experience that oh i this is this is to me one of the great dangers of being a pass holder and anyone who has as a new pass holder or is thinking about becoming a pass holder, you know, you will, you will not fundamentally ever be able to experience the park the way that you did when you went and visited once every year or once every two years, because all of a sudden you start looking for and noticing if you, if, even if you're not looking for it, you start noticing the little differences that light bulb is burned out, that figure is not moving. <laughs> like you start to see all the flaws that you would never see as a casual visitor. Right. And I personally don't believe the parks were really designed, at least initially, for an annual pass type situation where you're there mm-hmm. every day or, you you know, 
a couple of times a week or you go there and you meet your friends and you hang out like that's not not how the parks were designed right. to be u- used and in a lot of ways using them that way has fundamentally changed even how i think the parks operate on the upswing i, I think it's made the food better um, right yeah yeah i, I the, also yeah. i also think too when uh, brian and jt and i we have to travel to get there and that is part of the excitement the build to this day I'm 47 years old and I still love knowing and still love planning and still love clicking the little button to know that I've got my stuff. Uh, and we, as buddies and brothers here, we we track each other's flight. Like, look, Brian's over North Carolina. There's a picture from Todd from 30,000 feet and JT just landed. You know, that adds to it. So when it becomes an event outside of just showing up at the doorstep of something that's 30 minutes away... It, it adds to that excitement and that realism that you are escaping because you are not 30 minutes from your bed. Yeah, and it's still, a, because it's a, a one-time or a two-time or a, maybe a six-time event for you per year, mm. uh, it's there's still something that you're looking forward to because it's far, It's not like you can just hop in the car and like me, you know, an hour and a half later, you're there and yeah. you're just, and you're just <laughs> met. That's funny, Al. I four in an hour yeah, and a half. Right, Shut right. up. That doesn't happen anymore. And you're, well, on Saturday mornings, if you leave, if you leave at 6 <laughs> You leave at 6. Yeah. Um, it's just, it's, it ends up being, you're, you're angry with, the, we're just frustrated because of the traffic. Like, you know, actually that is that right. we don't go very often because we are so sick and tired of getting to Champions Gate and sitting in 30 minutes of traffic just so cars can cycle in and off of the highway in one location is like, it makes us not want to go. There's a lot of things that have become a detriment to us going, uh, that keeps us from going rather than encouraging us to go as as a local that you guys they need an auto, an auto train from tampa st pete to <laughs> to orlando right. to uh, we like buena vista we honestly kept hoping that they would do the high speed rail thing and it may happen yeah. someday it hasn't happened yet but we keep hoping so let me ask this jude delman then um we've all feel away from everything brian you brought up a good point with sandy hook um things happen that for lack of better terms break the fourth wall right and, right. and to, to to use a quote from the, the television industry, right? Breaking the fourth wall, for those that don't know, is when you're on a sitcom. There's generally three walls that you always see. The fourth wall is the camera. So when you talk to the camera, you break the fourth wall. So what I'm saying here is there's things from the outside that break that fourth wall, making you realize that the reality is still out there. Um, Brian, you mentioned Sandy Hook. For me, it was... Um, I remember watching Indiana Jones and the space shuttle taking off while we were watching Indiana Jones. Like, Whoa. Wait a minute. All of a sudden, I'm not watching Indiana Jones in this. I'm not in Cairo. I'm not immersed in this. Life is going on. And that that happens to me when I walk down, you know, Hollywood Boulevard and all of a sudden a skywriter tells me that Jesus loves me. <laughs> well, he does. Or to go to he Rosie's. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> go to Rosie's. <laughs> JT, what about you? What have you seen? What have you felt in this, you know, this type of thing? Um, Honestly, I... That's and you drive down, so you have a different perspective. Well, so I was going to go earlier on the buildup. I think you guys don't have the same perspective of buildup as I do, because as a kid, I remember watching the camper get packed for a week, <laughs> watching my dad pack bearings and check tires and make sure we're good. And, I mean, I don't know how many of you guys have made that trip, but, I mean, I, I just made it a couple weeks ago. Every state has its own little identity 
and mm. I check in on places on Swarm, and it's like, you were in this gas station, you know, three years ago. And you're like, that's right, I was, and I bought a Coke there. So the buildup was much bigger as a kid, 15 hours in the car. That AM radio station was a huge deal for us. Yeah, yeah. JT, you're leaving out for me those drives, and we did do them, not family, but I did them with my friends uh, three or four times. Uh, stopping at the convenience stores along the highway to get gas, the different sodas and snacks yeah. in the different states that I had never seen before. <laughs> like, that was part of the experience. Yep, it, totally. And even for us, we only went to, as a kid, we went every spring break, and we only went to one park. So getting to that finally walking into the Magic Kingdom, I mean, you got to imagine, go back like two weeks before that of prepping and then sitting at Fort Wilderness and doing everything. It's like, are we going to go? No, not yet. Quit asking. No, not yet. Quit. And then you finally get there. I mean, getting to that park was was insane. It was such a buildup. It was such a big deal. And it's kind of the same way now, just leading up to it, packing up the kids and all that stuff. But um, as far as like a fourth wall goes, I mean, it really, to me, it's just when you kind of look at your bank account and you start looking at how much money you spent, that's the fourth wall for me on these trips. You're like, whoa, geez. <laughs> This added up quick, but uh, yeah, that's that's. I can't really think of any specific event though yeah. that I was down there for. Well, I, I want to tell you guys. I mean, we've mentioned it before. I've my first trip. I wanted to kind of explain to everybody how I have those memories, and it is kind of why we're here today a little bit. Um, for me, I was really excited in 1980 because I got to leave. I told my kindergarten teacher that I was going, and that was like, she's like it's January. You're not going till October. And I'm like, I'm going to Disney world. I'm going to get school off. Like that was more of the attraction that I was actually going to be able to do homework on the airplane. That was thrilling to me. Uh, but what came out of that was a photo album that my mom put together. We've since scanned it. We've scanned the films and I always bring up the films because at a young age, at six years old, the films and the photos became my memory. And, um, I know how you your first trip, you were too young to remember, and there may not be films or photos of that trip. So far, we haven't found it yet. You haven't found it. When we do, you you do know somebody who can restore those. I, I do. I do. If okay, we do. Good, good. Well, <laughs> so I will preface that by they, they, I believe, wouldn't allow them to take photos on that bus tour of the construction Oh, the, the early one, right. The so, yeah. yeah. Now, we, do find, we did find my 1973 uh, film which i poorly shot so i don't have the film anymore because i think my sister ended it but but we do have my 19 april 1973 uh eight millimeters that that i've reviewed um and um photographs from 73 74 and 75 mm-hmm. at least uh, in my possession so yeah that's I, it's funny to look back on those uh in some ways it's a magic kingdom i don't even recognize anymore because they're you know yeah. although there are a lot of things that have not changed there's there's a lot of things that have changed and I've, i know i personally have definitely reached a point where I, I have to reference things that were there rather than things that aren't there if i'm talking <laughs> right, to right. somebody to like navigate <laughs> through the park yeah so so like me that the, the those films and, and photos really are what give you your memory of the time because you may not have remembered it. i i know i didn't really remember it as a six-year-old child but i remember it through the photos and I'm sure there's a lot of people out there whose first trip was when they were very young and the only way of remembering. A lot of the films we get from people in videos, I was just working on one today. There was this little girl sitting in Barbie, and I'm like, it's 1994. This this girl is 30-some years old now. You know, 
it's you're all close to it you know um and that is her memory right that is that's exactly what that memory is so you know i just wanted to say that because i i feel that the films really in the in the photos really started to bring us together i have a little more on it a little later i want to i want to mention but um you know that's that's for me how i really started to focus uh on you know what my first trip really was and what kind of hooked me yeah and i i love it when listeners either tweet us directly old photos that they've taken or you just you know i'm scrolling through twitter and i see pictures that someone it always it's just so neat to see people enjoying the park and having a good time and what it's interesting always to see what they chose to take pictures of because there are a lot of commonalities as we have found out oh um but i then watched two parades tonight just so you know two <laughs> parades with mickey leading it and going crazy i mean we always get pictures on the jungle cruise we always get pic- pictures of people standing in front of the flower market yep we always get you know there there are some things that are universal but then there's always the oddball you know people taking pictures in places that you didn't expect and you're like where is that and you're like oh now i know where that is <laughs> yeah remember every now and then we would see uh someone would take a picture of the the backside of that uh the swiss themed uh, the chalet themed oh. skyway station oh, yeah. like that that dip down and we'd look at it and like where <laughs> is that <laughs> no idea it wasn't marked as a Kodak photo spot, right? So it's like correct. You know, well, Kodak wasn't in the parks until GAF, GAF. the eighties. Yeah, right, we'll just call it a photo spot. How's that? Yeah, how's that? So, JT, what are the, some of the things that you've been, you know, mulling over? You, you're in a similar position as me. You are going now with children, right? At a young age, my my trips down there again restarted after I had a son. Uh, went down at the age three. Um, how I hate to discount you, but you've been there all the time. I'm trying to find the assimilation here. <laughs> oh, well, you have to remember, there's three phases of my life. There's That's the, true. There's the driving down once a year phase. Then there's mm-hmm. the going all the time phase. Then I took a break through the 2000s and then had kids of my own and started going back, you know, as a family. So I've the family been, man. Phase, I've yeah. lived all of those lives. Yes. Right. Right. Yeah. And I, I think I've done similar where it was, the, it was my parents and grandparents took me down. Then I went on my own through college and with buddies. I did the same thing. I, I took the break and uh, I only went back after, you know, my son was born and we said, hey, let's go down to Disney and re-sparked and rekindled. And really what was interesting is that um, the magic that was lost over the years of that I wasn't going was all of a sudden regained while watching my son see it through his eyes. There you go. And experiencing, and, and and I was here with my parents and my grandparents and all this, and taking a picture of him six, seven years in a row pointing to the brick that my grandfather purchased. You know, that that's huge for me. So, JT, you got two kids. You went down with Lily for the first time when she was two or three or maybe even younger. I don't remember. You've been down there for 18 marathon. months. 18 months. Look at that. She's, and she was getting in free. We, we never quit going. I mean, that's kind of the thing. We went through high school. We went through college. So, okay. Went, so we, you don't have the phases that Hal and I No, we about. just kept going. And, uh, you know, I, I will say we had a weird one this year where I keep going back to Fort Wilderness, but we, we, we do different things that are, you know, throughout the years, but it's funny to do the same thing with my kid that I did as a kid. 
So like, you know, we were, when we had, uh, we had a flat tire last trip of all things and I had to take my car to the auto center. I'd never been there. I go, I'm, I'm taking this opportunity to go to the AAA car care center. Uh, and, uh, I go, well, we're, we're close to Fort Wilderness. Let's drop the tire off. We'll go see my family who is staying there. And we, you know, I had my skateboard, she had her scooter and we, I did what I did when I was a kid, rode a scooter around Fort Wilderness <laughs> and I'm watching my daughter do this. And it was just kind of like this weird screwed with your mind a little bit but um yeah like you said you see it through her eyes and then the the other end is like you she's not old enough yet to like start she's just learning how to read you know but she's kind of starting to pick up on things and she's asking me questions about things and you know it's funny she has a a good source to ask questions to because most times i know the answer when we're staying there or i just message you guys and ask you the question um but yeah, you, you get this different perspective of it with your kids. And now my, my son, who's uh, about to turn three, he hates rides so far. So it's just, it's kind of pointless <laughs> to take him, but he'll come around eventually. Brian, what about you? You know, you've, you, did you take a break in the middle too? I mean, you don't have children, so you see it through a, a friendship way almost, well, right? Well, right. So, well, right. My, I have no children that I know of. Um, <laughs> my, my, uh, my, my, experience was that first trip which is actually on my list uh, 1988 and then i didn't go again until 1995 like it was like i went as a 13 year old and then it was as i went through my teen years like i got to get back there i got to get back there so as a young adult i arranged a you know trip driving down with my buddies and then didn't go again until i started you know working full-time as a career and it became like an annual trip it was a big deal because there was going with my parents and my brother and sister and then going with, you know, my young friends. And then as my nieces and nephews started to get older, those trips with friends would be interspersed with first starting to go with siblings and their kids. And that was a whole different experience. You know, uh, I, I mean, you get some tangentially, you get some of the parental experience there of just the joy of seeing my nieces and nephews experience these rides and, you know, experience these shows. And, you know, my nephew, Anthony sings the Tiki room song, you know, when he was little, he came home, he loved the Tiki room song and, and especially uh, great, big, beautiful tomorrow. Like he's a, you know, he was six years old right around singing that. And I remembered how much I loved it when, when, when I first heard it. And, you know, it's just, it's, it's great to have those connections. So I have had that experience now especially in the years since we started the show and my my friend base in Florida has expanded uh, and I have these friends from all over the world that I meet there, uh, not generally planned. We just happen to be there at the same time and a bunch of folks who live there. So now I just tonight had a conversation with a friend because, you know, we're planning to be there at the end of the month, both you and me in separate trips. Yeah. And she's like, what, you go go somewhere else. And I said, no, I said, this is a solo trip for me. I said, but. I'm going to a place where I've got 30 friends, you know, where I have people who are people who work there, people who live down there, right. you know, so every meal is with another friend catching up with people. And, and that was a, you know, that was a hard part of the pandemic was even if I did travel down, most of them, you know, were being very cautious and you couldn't go inside to dine anywhere. And, you know, I remember friends I hadn't seen in a year. We ended up eating in this uh, gigantic hotel lobby because nobody wanted to eat indoors, you know, like, 
So it's an adjustment. But yeah, it's a different experience, I think, every trip you take. And I'm sure those of you, before you had kids going with a girlfriend or a boyfriend or, you know, that's a different experience than going with your family and then going with, you know, your own family. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I I have a a couple little personal things that that memories I wanted to share here that I, I think we've, you know, I mentioned my son helping me get back into it, so to speak, after that, the, the drought. Um, one of the ones I think we mentioned after my mom had passed away was that um, I remember really distinctly one night we were walking to the monorail and like, oh, we found out the Magic Kingdom opened, was open later. It was open to midnight. Like, oh, my God, midnight. You know, you're 12 years old. It's like exciting, right? And the rest of the family went back. So she and I and my brother said, screw it, we're going in. We went in the park. And then I remember that they were running fireworks twice. It was like 9 and then they did something at 10 and something happened at 11. I forget what it was. But anyway, so it was late. The fireworks were going off and we're standing in line for Dumbo. uh, Not Dumbo, I'm sorry, Peter Pan. And you know the way the queue is, right? You got kind of go in under that shelter and you're trying to watch the fireworks and all that stuff. And I never forgot that that night um because it was my mom just saying you know fine let your grandparents and your father and your brother your sister go back where the three of us are going to stay out and have fun and i was there uh many years later i think it was in 2017 or so and and that whole feeling came back to me i was in fantasy land the park was open late the fireworks came back it was a year after she had passed and uh i had a tear in my eye because all of a sudden it just brought back that memory and it was just amazing how just something like that can be so powerful and bring you back to that moment, bring you back to that person. And uh, really was a, a powerful moment for you. So like you, Brian, there are moments, whether it's bought on by music or events or things that happen while you're there uh, that, you know, get the best of me and, and, and choke me up. Plus two, you had the gold key, so you could go in and out as you please anytime. <laughs> they threw a lobster at you yeah. as you went through the turnstile. Actually, he could actually chew on this. He while could you're actually in line. pick the lobsters out of twenty thousand leagues under the sea, and they <laughs> would prepare right. them by the side for him. You know, after Absolutely. he got off the ride. Did, did we? Did we give this guy a Chevy Cavalier yet? He's a gold key guy. Yeah. Just one, just one, Brian. Just, I'll just give him one. a second for his brother. All right, let's inform <laughs> the uh, the listeners who are new what this joke is, or if you haven't caught on after. 71 episodes my grandfather was a big he loved the gold what he called the gold key plan i don't know if it was ever officially called that but anyway it was it was was it called okay yes that was a call and you literally got a plastic credit card that had gold key on it uh i think it was maroon if you're at the floridian it was uh, blue for the contemporary and green for the uh, Polynesians. We always had a green one. He loves to play. Anyway, long story short, this was before Disney dining plan. This was the, before food and fun. That's something we got to talk about one of these days, the food and fun plan. And what would happen is that uh, you basically prepaid all your meals with the exception of alcohol, including tips. And when you went in with this, you would show it to any waiter or waitress and their eyes would light up. Because they knew they didn't care what you ordered. They knew you didn't care what you ordered. And the more that they bought you, the more tip they made because it was all automatically included. So you were literally treated like royalty. And one of the ones that they, we've joked about it because my grandfather always loved going. I think three times I went down there on the gold key and he'd be like, have at it, kid. Get what you want. Just, and I would just, I would ask if they had things and like, yeah, we'll make that for you. 
I didn't care. They just bought whatever. So I remember the one night we were at uh, the Papite Bay Veranda at night. It was our first night there. Everybody was on the gold key. Grandfather splurged, and I think the entire table, except probably my my sister, had filet mignon. We're just sitting there. Oh, it was just fantastic. And anyway, so that's my. So now the guys rag on me, you know, like, oh, you're on the gold key plan. So, but we're we're just jealous. Fantastic. Todd. We're just totally. Jealous. I'll, I'll you should I'll sport you we guys should, a, we should, a flame and because because everybody loves our little readers digest side notes. A gold key was a Cadillac program dating back to 1926 where they <laughs> oh. would deliver your vehicle to you and the keys were actually plated in 24 karat gold. Wow. Uh, so sh- straight up through the 90s your Cadillac keys were often gold keys. Um, the fun thing about it was that they would process it like a regular credit card they would actually do the remember when you would actually slide a credit like when you would when you would card card. and your name was on it and they would do something with that your name was imprinted onto it and you had to sign for it so my grandpa would say why don't you pick up the tab tonight and i'd (laughs) sign for it and i thought i was i'm like yeah well let me oh grandpa you're gonna have to pay for the alcohol though oh i'll tell i'll pay for that separately for the, the probably the miller light he had or something you know that's that's uh, along the same lines, that's my, you know, I, I told the story many years back of the of the getting our uh, trip to Disney World, the first trip to Disney World, Christmas Eve, 1987. Mm-hmm. It, my parents came in uh, while we were having our Christmas Eve party and uh, handed my sister and me and my brother uh, a box and we each opened it and it was a set of travel brochures. I have pictures of them. We can put them in the show notes. I shared them years back, but. Uh, and it was, you know, it was thrilling. Hey, next month we're going to Disney World. And uh, I, you know, remember so many places. There are spots in the parks that even today I walk by them and I think I was here with dad. Yeah. And sure. you know, my dad's been gone for 17 years. And, uh, you know, I, I to this day, I remember. Uh, those moments and places, uh, you know, near 35 years, 37 years, whatever it is, uh, ago, uh, 33, I was, math was never my subject. Uh, but I, you know, I, I, I just, I think about that, especially, I think it was part of why I was kind of bummed out. I'm not, I was never been a downtown Disney fan, but I'm especially not a Disney Springs fan. And, you know, I, I have such fond memories of walking through the shopping village with my parents because we went to dinner on the Empress Lily one night and spent the night in the shops. And then our last day there before we flew home, we spent a couple hours in the village shopping. And, you know, I have pictures with my parents that last morning down there in the village and outside the Empress Lily. And, I, I you know, strong memories of being there with them. Uh, and I And I think that's you know, as, as you lose people from your life that you've experienced it with, I think it's common to remember certain places with them. And, and Disney world seems to be a very strong magnet for that. Yeah, it, it absolutely is. And I, I fully understand what you're saying, Brian, is having people been through my life that are no longer here, as I mentioned, and my grandparents. And, uh, it is very, very, very strong. Um, and Brian, I, I think to add to that is that I can still remember a time when I surprised my grandparents with a trip. I did this twice to them. They had no idea I was coming. 
And the second one was to the nursing home. <laughs> Come on, Grandpa. <laughs> We're going to Disney World going again. Gold key plan. Here you go. <laughs> they had flown down and stayed at the Polynesian. And uh, um, I arrived. I planned it. And um, I remember I just went to the front desk. I said, you know, tell Bernice Hadley that she has a package at the front desk to come get it. And I'll never forget her coming around that corner and from the, from what was it? Uh, what was the name of the building they stayed in? What was the ones connected right to the ceremony, great ceremonial house? How? Oh, Bali um, High? Bali High. No, it wasn't uh, Bora Bora. Was Bora it Bora Bora? Okay. Yeah, the little, the, the smallest one. Anyway, they loved staying in that because they didn't have to get wet to go to the monorail because it was all covered. So they loved it. So I remember her coming around the corner and just, the look on her face, like, you know, what are you doing here? You live on your own now. You're in an apartment. You're, how are you in Disney World with us? And that was, it was, it was really amazing. And, and like I said, I did that twice, maybe even three times for them where they didn't expect me. And, and maybe they started to expect me probably at some point. I don't, <laughs> I don't know. Here, he's here <laughs> he's again, Leroy, again. looking for a free ride. <laughs> it was Joseph. But Leroy's Hide your gold enough. keys. Todd's in town. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah. he wants another lobster for free. <laughs> this is going to cost us another grand. <laughs> he just kept coming down. Why does this kid keep showing up? Just because he eats for free. Him. That's why. Right. <laughs> Paying his own way down and then he mooches off of us. So. Oh, that's great. No. I want to. I want to do one. Yeah, go. All right. So let me get this back into. I I like the the memories. We're talking about places that are there. Yeah. And and you think about these places. Like if there's a place like I remember standing with my mom. If they ever bulldoze it or something, and you know the day she's gone, I would be bummed because it's gone. Um, I have a memory of we always used to take two or three days on vacation out of the week, and we would spend it at the beach and not the ocean we'd go to the beach at fort wilderness we'd be on bay lake and it was like a beach day you can't do that anymore i mean we, we'd sit there we, we'd be at the sand you go swimming they even had like the the swimming area roped off and buoyed up and all that and we even get snacks at the marina there which you can't get snacks there anymore there used to be just like a coke machine there recently so do you guys have anything that is a closed thing or a closed attraction that you have a, a strong memory of that you're like man i wish i could do that one more time i don't know if i want to swim in the water one more time right there but <laughs> and we definitely I, did it a lot now i you know everybody was fine as far as i know so if anybody says horizons horizons are going to punch you okay this has to be non-attraction <laughs> is a non-horizons base so. it can be any memory yeah anything you think of that um, was cool that's I, gone or i have one that was really neat was was before I am everybody knows this, but I, I knew it years before people knew and before it was popular. Um, there was a hill at the Polynesian that overlooked the water. It was on the right hand side. If you're on the beach, it kind of curled around. And now, right in front of it is where all the bungalows are. And prior, I think you're talking about Sunset Point. Sunset right? Point. But years ago, there was no way to get up there. Nobody really knew about that. There was a. Um, eventually they added a pathway and you could go, I remember watching wishes from up there, but even prior to that, nobody knew you just had to walk on that razor blade grass. I don't know what it is that you have down there, how it's essentially, you're walking in exacto blades to get out there. Well, we have two kinds, Bahia and Uh St. Augustine. St. Augustine is thicker. Okay. Bahia is thinner, but St. Augustine is, I don't think they have St. Augustine there. I think they probably have the Bahia, but you know, who knows? 
right, well, let, it, let it's definitely not soft northern grass. I will no, it is not a, a, a fescue or a rye. That's for yeah. sure. Um, but I remember that place. That, that's one of the things. I, and ironically, I don't have any special memories of it. Um, you know, but I just knew it was a place you could go and nobody else really knew about it. Um, and I also, one other thing I miss before Fast Pass, I swear by it, there was always the left lane and the right lane when you were getting on a ride. How's nodding his head? Yes, because absolutely. We a lot of people are right-handed. There, we drive on the right. We gravitate to the right and the left-hand side. And some cues, it was actually physically <laughs> shorter as well. But that I miss that because now it's like oh, it's, there. It's there was a s- lightning speed, whatever. Now there was a similar trick I used to do uh, for walk-up restaurants like the columbia harbor house or tomorrowland terrace um cosmic rays where there's a podium and the person who takes your order is at the podium and then you go up to the counter yes well the procedure which i figured out is that they they basically go back and forth they go to the Mm -hmm. right hand side the left hand side the right hand side the left hand side if there are if there were 10 people on the right hand side and no one on the left hand side I would walk up to the left-hand side. They would take person number one's order on the right-hand side and then turn to me on the left-hand side and take my order. And the nine people behind the one person on the right-hand side would be livid. But, like, that's just the way the system works. So there were things like that that you could... They still do it at Typhoon Lagoon, and I think uh, Tomorrowland Terrace, or a couple of them, still still do it. Yeah, so, some yeah. of the some of the uh, Picos Bills, wasn't that? The, yes. Yeah. In, Although yeah. I have noticed lately that there's been a cast member who ushers people ah, in, and then specific. like points them to one of those stands to go to, rather than. Just it's funny out. you mentioned that. How I, I read, not to diverge here, but I every time I go to a checkout line at a grocery store, I look at the maximum inefficiency that it is. Right, you just pick a random line to go in. Is the worst possible queue system that we use for grocery stores. And what you're defining is what Disney's trying to do is maximize the queue. There have been lots of studies done. And the way to maximize a queue is you have everybody queue up in a single line and you send people to the next available spot. Mm-hmm. That is the absolute best way and the quickest way to work your way through a queue. Having people queue separately on their own intuition of what is going to happen next is the worst thing because you get in somebody line at the grocery store. I've got coupons for everything. That's a reference to the Disney channel right there. And if you didn't catch it, I want, if anybody can catch it, I'm going to send a gift to get it to them. So you got to tell me what that, what is that from? And what happened when the person says, I've got coupons for everything. Cause it is from the Disney channel subject line, Disney channel to contest at retro com. So, Look, we got a contest out of it. I, I diverged a little bit. But <laughs> but airports do it the right way, right? Airports has a big line. You go, oh, my God, the line's so long. That is the best way to get through a queue. Interesting. Best Buy does that, too, and so does Kohl's. There you go. Yeah. Marshalls is starting to do it. Home Not goes. Kohl's. Somewhere else. TJ Maxx, maybe. TJ Maxx, yeah. Marshalls, yeah. Um, I do have a story about a place that is closed slash inaccessible today. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, so... Um, I had, this is going back to 1973. So, um, just as it happened on my fifth birthday, we went to the Diamond Horseshoe Review, mm. and I was uh, volunteered to go up on stage with the traveling salesman as part of the act when he would do like the balloons and stuff. 
Now, it wasn't Wally Bogue and it wasn't Bev Beverman. It was somebody else. And I don't know. I haven't been able to identify <laughs> who it is, but I do have a picture of me up on stage with him. And the the thing that I remember was the when he brought me up on stage, he's like, OK, I want you to stand right here on top of the trap door. And I knew enough of what a trap door was <laughs> to, like, be wary of that. So I was terrified during the whole thing that I was standing over the trap door. And um, he had some kind of a sort of like a running gag set up with the drummer where every time he would say trap door, the drummer would like, I don't know if he would hit the snare or something, but he would do something very loud or the crash symbol. And I would jump in the air like and i swear to god they must have done this like probably once they saw my reaction they must have done it at least four or five times during the duration of the show we're gonna play Um, off of this kid no doubt right oh because i was i was perfect for it i was just terrified and i remember he asked me if i was married which is one of those like standard like you know funny questions to ask kid because of course they say no but just in a weird happenstance it's like uh, we, we would always go down and stay with my niece, who was a year younger than me. And for some reason, either the day of, because the Magic Kingdom didn't open until like 10. So it was either that morning before we left or the day before she informed me that we were married and she gave me a ring. So when they asked, when he asked me, are you married? I was like, yes. And <laughs> they're like, to who? And like, I pointed out my niece in the front row, which was kind of funny. And apparently I must have made an impression because as we were leaving, when the show was over, these people kept going up to my parents and go like, wait, he isn't part of the show. He wasn't like a plant. That's just <laughs> like, no, he's just random just kid our, who came, came that just day. our son. <laughs> so, um, so that's one of my, that's, that is a place that I am very sad is closed because not even because of that memory. It's like, I, I enjoyed going to that show over and over again. And that's, that's something that I did with my family. Um, you know, my mom and dad and and my niece, when she would come with us multiple, multiple times. Uh, and then when I was older, I got to see it, of course, on my own before it was closed down. Uh, and that was such a great show, such a good old school comedy with singing and can can girls. And, uh, that was on my list of, you know, if there were things that, that could be brought back for the 50th, that weren't super expensive to do and would give, you know, people a good taste of, of what things were like back then. It's like, that was something I was really pulling for hoping uh, that would come back again. So I don't know, I guess, guess we'll find out four days from now or previous to four days from now for whenever this podcast drops. How about the shell lays at the luau? Do you remember the shell lays they would give out? I never got to go to the luau. Oh my goodness. Uh, Yeah. They used to give out these, uh, what are those little, they're these kind of gray shells, but the inside the they curl per- around. Pearly white. shells what from the ocean. The, per- the pearly shells <laughs> shining in the sun from the ocean. They, they look like a mouth. Sun. They got yeah. like a little mouth. Yeah, they got little teeth on them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they would make it. Was, it was uh, generally they were drilled through and they would um, tie them together with basically like fishing line. But there's a picture of me wearing one, and it was. I don't know why you got shells instead of flowers. Maybe it was. Cheap, that's anyway. that's a very famous kind of a thing they used to give those away too at hilo hattie's uh stores oh. in hawaii the little okay. shell necklaces yeah yeah because uh, they're super cheap <laughs> yeah 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 it's just shells are free so if you want to see me wearing a shell necklace necklace it is on retro com. so uh i don't know where to find it but it's somewhere on there 
we'll have to post that in the show notes. Got to figure out. Hang on, let me find out. So what I'll find while, out what those. Well, how's looking that up? I I've got a question for you guys. Um, when you go to Walt Disney World as a young child, you see it through a child's eyes, and there are levels of amazement. We've talked about how it pulls you away from reality, and as you get older you learn what the color go away green is you learn about forced perspective you learn what a weenie is or you start to be able to see that the door is open to the backstage or you crane your neck or you look on google maps and you know where the monorails go to sleep at night right and it's a struggle in my head sometimes to detach myself more as you learn more right and um i find that that's an up and down thing for me um maybe it's when i go too often or you know twice in a year that that it's a little kind of repetitive as we were talking about earlier uh but i find that um you know the more you know that a little bit less of that magic is there and it, you've got to keep you got to figure out how to keep it in a way doesn't doesn't this touch on one of our you know oft-cited critiques of why the studio parks aren't as fascinating anymore because the process by which they make movies mm. uh, you know the lord of the rings comes out and there's 72 hours of documentaries <laughs> behind the scene features cd-roms websites where you can see exactly how they did it yeah uh and with computer graphics now it's no wonder how they do things but before that you know figuring out how they made E.T. and how they made Jaws and how The Wizard of Oz was done was a fascinating subject for people interested in film, but not a thing that we knew. Right. I think the parks are the same way. We see a ride. I mean, when I know when I was little, I go, like, how'd they do that? That's so cool. Yeah. Look at Spaceship Earth. and this. Is a... Well, now, you know, Disney, we saw, you know, 72 hours of stuff before they ever opened Frozen Ever After. <laughs> Right. On how they were making Frozen Ever After and the reveal of, I mean, I remember the, before they opened the Little Mermaid ride, uh, like the big Disney Parks video of showing you the Ursula animatronic and stuff. I mean, before the mystery used to be when you rode the ride and now beforehand it's there. And then like tonight, none of us were in Florida when they premiered Harmonious, but all of us saw it. Right, right. <laughs> and, and you know, there was a period of time before internet videos, you know, pre-YouTube and all, pre-2000, uh, where the only way to experience this stuff, other than seeing Regis preview it for 20 seconds on a parade, uh, was to go to the parks and see it. And, you know, there weren't three-hour documentaries about Big Thunder Mountain Railroad. You had to go ride it. And so I think that takes some of the the mystery that we used to revel in away. Yeah. No, that's a no, good, that, excellent point. I'll say Todd, I, that's what's kept me into it. I love seeing how this stuff works. I like seeing when something breaks. I like seeing all these cast <laughs> members get to, you know, do, I love the behind the scenes stuff. Now it's so fun, but I'm also going back to my kid. I'm dancing this fine line of, like, yeah, I want to tell her how this stuff works, but I also don't want to ruin it for her. Like, we did quite a bit on Tower of Terror because we both love that ride, but she's scared to death of it as a first grader. So 
were like, it's not real. It's just this. And I'm ex- I even showed her the, the latest on uh, Disney Plus, how it works. Still was scared to death to go on it. But, you, you know, you, you're like, you don't want to totally ruin it for somebody by telling them things. So most times when I know all this stuff, I usually don't say much until somebody asks me if I'm going with somebody that's never been or somebody that's, you know, kind of not interested in that and ruining the magic for them. All right, I think, Brian, you've got something else you've uh, been on your mind. You've been pondering this. You even gave us a list a few weeks ago uh, of the different things you'd come up with, which prompted me to make a list that I've got in front of me. But what an, what's something else you got here? Well, uh, we've all probably had stories, because we've been there enough, of uh, non-traditional things, uh, non-vacation things that have happened to us on vacation. So if you recall seeing my list, the last thing on my list was my kidney stone at the Yacht yes, Club. Yes, do tell. <laughs> Um, 2003, I was on the trip with uh, my buddy Rob and my buddy Matt, and we were staying in the Yacht Club. That's my recollection anyway. We were staying in the Yacht Club, although Rob may correct me and say it was the Grand Floridian, but I think it was the Yacht Club. And, uh, I, you know, it was a couple nights into our trip and I, uh, was laying there in bed and about four o'clock in the morning, I woke up and I just had this very unfamiliar pain in my back that I had never experienced before. Uh, it's uh, for those of you who've never had one, uh, they tend to start like a dull. It's like someone has a knuckle, but it's on the inside of your back trying to get out. And just like with a little picture, a little sandpaper on the knuckle. It's very unpleasant. Uh, in fact, a lot of people who've had kidney stones and gone through childbirth will say the kidney stones are worse. Uh, but I, you know, so I got up and I just thought it was, Hey man, something's going on with my back. So at four o'clock in the morning, I run a hot bath and I get in to try to, cause I don't have a heating pad with me in Florida. So I, I get in and try and soak my back and see if like the muscles were seized up or something. And after about a half an hour in the tub, I'm like, this is not getting any better. So I get out and I kind of struggle through the morning and the boys wake up and I tell him, you know what? I don't know what's going on. I feel terrible. You guys go ahead to the parks. Like I'm, I'm, I'm like not well here. And, uh, I, no sooner did they get to the parks, I called them like, I got to go to like one of these urgent Mm. care facilities or something. Like I said, something's wrong. So, uh, we drove, they came back and picked me up, uh, took me to, actually, I think I called the front desk. Or Rob called the front desk and asked, like, where should we go? And the Disney front desk recommended that we go to, like, Centricare, which is an urgent care right off property. So I had never been to an urgent care before. We pull in, and I, I must have sat there for an hour and a half before someone finally came in to see me. And the guy comes in, and he, like, you know, I tell him what's going on, and he presses, oh, is it here? I say, okay, well, you have a kidney stone. There's nothing we can do for you here. Like, if... If it's really bad, you should go to, you know, like Orlando Hospital or whatever, you know, whatever the nearest hospital is. And uh, we left, we left the, we left the urgent care. I said, drive me to a Walgreens, you know, like the closest drugstore. And at the time, my doctor was also the work comp doctor for our company. Uh, And I'm the HR director, so I would refer people to him all the time. So I had his pager number. So I paged him because back then that's what you did. <laughs> I paged him and he called me back like five minutes later and I'm like, I'm telling him what's going on. And he's like, well, you know, 
as long as you're still able to use the bathroom, that means things are flowing down there, you're fine. But if you get to a point where you can't, then you, you got to get to a hospital. It's like, otherwise, you just kind of wait to pass it and drink a lot of cranberry juice and drink a ton of water. And, oh, okay, okay. And I said, well, we're, we're getting on a Disney cruise tomorrow. Like, he goes, I, I got to tell you what. He's like, if I were you, I wouldn't get on that ship, you know, if you haven't passed that kidney stone. I drank about three gallons of cranberry juice, but I got on the ship uh, and uh, I made it. I survived. At some point, uh, people talk about passing a kidney stone is like, yeah, there's a great Seinfeld episode where Kramer finally passes one. Friends episode, right? I did not have that experience. Like mine just went away. And so I have had them since Uh, I get them every so often. Uh, but that first one, I will always remember at four <laughs> o'clock in the morning at Disney World. Have any of you had any experiences? Like I want to oh. ask a follow-up question. By any chance, <laughs> yes. did you ride Big Thunder Mountain that day? <laughs> oh, oh, I'm sure. Because, I'm sure. And the reason I ask is because there that. was a semi-scientific study done by, I believe, a doctor who discovered that something about the way that Big Thunder Mountain is laid out is that it actually breaks up kidney stones. I am not li- I am not lying. This is an actual, a doctor published some study about this, like, what, three, four, five years ago, maybe, after his own experience of riding Big Thunder Mountain and having it break up his uh, kidney stone. I would think if that's the case, then the best one to ride would be Rock and Roller Coaster, because that just... Beats the heck out of you. <laughs> it is here. I found it. If, if you just type, start typing in Big Thunder Mountain Kidney Stone, it, it's on the New York Times. <laughs> uh, a roller coaster remedy for kidney stones. This was in 2016. And uh, the authors found that moderate intensity rattling coasters might be effective at dislodging little kidney stones in the outer ducts of the kidney and propelling towards the uterus, the tube connecting the kidneys to the bladder. Um, and let's see how... Let's see. Most notable, one patient passed kidney stones after each of three consecutive rides at the Big Thunder Mountain Roller Coaster in Disney World in Florida. Uh, he teamed with a urologist uh, to create a 3D printed silicone cast of a patient's kidney. The researchers filled their life-size model with kidney stones and urine and headed to Walt Disney World. <laughs> yeah, they <laughs> took a model yeah, on the t- ride. Holding their model at kidney height, the doctors took 20 this is a rides Hal Bowers thing. with three stones in the model at a time. They saw kidney stones move from the periphery of the kidney model towards the top of the uterus in many cases. Success rates were higher in the back of the roller coaster than the front. 64 versus 17, probably because so of the So if you ride, ride this ride once or twice a year, you'll be good. You yeah, keep, you really. Keep, it just keep, it'll keep just, you jiggled out. Exactly. Just, you know. just, just, or or, or it jiggles them loose right you right know. and then you gotta you gotta get a password so true maybe maybe it caused it yeah, you know you never know well i have hey, another... i used to end up uh uh in the in the hospital a few times as a kid with colds and stomach aches and things like that i remember being in agony uh, you know on trips and ended up in urgent care things like that yeah. a few times not not every trip but a few times i have two experiences one i went to typhoon lagoon and then the next day i woke up with a massive case of pink eye and it was just like my i couldn't even by the end of the day i'm like my eyes were just like swollen shut had to go to the medi you know quick med place they were great gave me wide drops i was fine the next day uh however we were down there in um uh, 2010 2011 i think and my son we're listening. It was uh, during Food and Wine and Smash Mouth was playing. And he, I don't know if you know, at the American Garden Theater, there's some chains that are s- spread between uh, two <laughs> posts. 
And he was leaning, kind of butt-sitting on the chain, if you will, and kind of swinging back You're not supposed forth. to do that. No, he's not supposed to because this is what happens. Um, he fell off and whacked his head on the on the curb. Like, all right, you know, he got up. He was all right. Bloodbath. No, 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 no broken skin. He just started speaking Portuguese. Yeah. <laughs> Wakes up at 2 a.m. vomiting, right? Oh. oh. So we pleasant. think concussion. We go over to the celebration hospital. He has a CAT scan, which is shaped, by the way. Like a giant sandcastle. Like a cat. It isn't, no, it's not oh, like a cat, but it's a sandcastle. You say it's a mouse. <laughs> uh, super, super nice. Uh, great facility. Uh, they cleared him. They said, you know, just take it easy the rest of your trip. And, uh, you know, we didn't really put him on any crazy rides after that. But that they was said our. No big thunder. Uh, no, yeah, no big thunder after that. So that was our medical, uh, medical event. So. That's funny because I have one too because we were. I went over with my wife and this was before my youngest was born but i so i had two boys with me and we were we stayed stayed the night over at one of the like buena vista hotels i think the travel lodge uh and we were going to go to the mickey's halloween party and we were getting dressed and my son i think he was two fell forward off of the bed onto the ground and cut his eye open and so we had to go to urgent care and there was just blood everywhere, like blood on his costume, <laughs> blood on our costumes. Went to the urgent care, got him patched up, and then went to the went to the Halloween event and had a grand time for the rest <laughs> of the evening. He was totally in, in costume. Like, oh, look, they did got, the, the kids they got did stitches. The, Let him in. They did the creed on the office. Hey, today's Halloween. That is really, really good timing. <laughs> <laughs> blood all over Covered him. in blood. Yeah. Uh, did any of you ever have an experience with... You know, Disney's legendary customer service and and the experience I remember, I don't remember if I ever told this story, but walking in, uh, Rob and some of my friends on one of our trips, walking in uh, Hollywood Studios, MGM at the time, and I'm walking down Sunset now, and somewhere... We weren't in the park five minutes and my and trying to get to the first ride, probably Tower or uh, Rock and Roller Coaster, because what you did is you ran and got a fast pass for the one and went on the other while you waited for the fast pass to come as, as soon as the park opened. We're running to do that. And my the glasses I was wearing, they just fell apart. Like the, the frame was held together by a screw. The screw came out. It popped open. My lenses fall down on the ground. Like, so I'm standing there. Yeah, it's like a Jerry Lewis movie. And I'm standing there with this. I pick it up. And, like, they're looking at me. And I, you know, it's, I, I would handle it better now, probably. But I didn't handle that stuff well back then. <laughs> go like, on I without like, me. <laughs> I did not. No, no, no. I'm, like, looking at my. No, if I have to go, everybody has to go. So we walk. Like, what do we do? And I'm, we're at Disney World. Let's just go to guest services and tell them what happened. They'll fix it. I literally said, they'll fix it. So we went to guest services. I told them what happened. We're standing there with the... So we didn't have the screw. You know, the screw had disappeared, but I had the lenses and the frames. And Five minutes later, maintenance guy comes out. Give me a minute. Pulls out his little toolkit. Sits there. Spent like five minutes putting my glasses back together with a tiny little screw and a, and a nut. And, you know, ten minutes later, we were... We were on our way to wow. like, That's like, awesome. just imagine that. Like, and, and like, I, just cause I was like, I know they'll try to help me if I go up and ask them. And they did. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if, I mean, I guess they would try today, but I, I just, that was like their reputation. And 
I just remember it like saving the day. You know, it's it's funny working in a profession where I work with customer service a lot and technical support and professional services. Um, making client delight is a huge thing. And that's a great example of delighting your clients and, and making sure that they're going to come back and that they have a great experience. That's really, really hard to do. To hard, It's hard to teach and hard to get all of your individuals to be able to acknowledge the challenge, acknowledge the problem, and come to a solution that is beneficial for them as well, and more importantly, the guest. And that's that's kind of shows why Disney has classes on this too for professionals and, and, and corporate level stuff to demonstrate that the easiest solution is not always the answer. The easiest solution is let me call somebody who the glasses place. They'll probably take you, you know, lenses in about an hour. And you're, by the way, you're going to have to get a taxi and you're going to miss your whole day. Right. Trying that extra little thing because yeah, they got small screws. They've got things they've, they have to fix. We, we got a guy yeah. here, you know, yeah. Jim's handy. We'll just right. call him out. He's got a tool belt. So realizing the tools that are at your disposal and being able to utilize them in the right moment is a talent that you have to teach your people. And those are behaviors that they need to exhibit when they're working with guests um, in order to help fulfill what, whatever need they come up with. So that's a, that's a really great one. Um, the one I have is kind of a, a cute little story. When my son was very little, he had a, a lot of sensory overload problems where and challenges where he would put his hands on his ears and he couldn't, stand lots of noise you know if we went on pirates he would close his ears he would put his hands on his ears because he thought that would close his mind to what he was seeing or listen up kid i'm paying 75 dollars <laughs> like, a day for this pirates. You're getting pirate. <laughs> um so a lot of loud noises a lot of sensory a lot of different things and um we explained it to somebody and they said oh we were going to see mickey and they said hold on well and they took care of us they just bought him in and it was this private session with just Mickey, quiet, and it was absolutely one of the most amazing experiences we ever had. And they acknowledged it and knew what we were dealing with. And, um, you know, he's older now. He's since grown out of those types of things and, and been able to self-manage, which is great. But it was just so comforting to see somebody be able to acknowledge that and bring that special little little treatment out, which was it really went above and beyond. That's just nice. I, I hope it's still like that. <laughs> I, well, you know, I, I was, I'm hopeful that the result of the pandemic actually drives a little more what we saw years ago, because it's, it's forced Disney to weed themselves down to a different staffing level that they had previously been before. Now that can go two ways. It can be, Hey, we don't have a lot of people. It's going to be really tough or they can extend the olive branch out and make it really, really exceptional again. So it'll be interesting to uh, to see what direction it goes. I, you know, I have a, a nephew who has issues, um, and as a younger um, tourist, I mean, Disney was the only place my my sister could take him. Uh, you know, because he has uh, issues with, you know, he's autistic and and certain issues with the lines and the attractions and uh, anywhere else that you would take him, 
generally is not able to accommodate those needs. And I think that's one of the things that really sets Disney apart uh, is that they uh, there are so many people with various disabilities who flock to there because they go out of their way to accommodate those disabilities. And we encounter them when we're in the parks mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, it just you would never see them at a different theme park, at a, you know, or amusement park or things like that. So, I, you know, I just it, it's a it's a special place and it has created great relationships. And uh, obviously the relationship we have, which is a result of the parks, is one of them. Right. Yeah. Brian, you bring up a really good point. I guess my question to you gentlemen is. When you're young, you go to the parks because you want to go on rides and you want to fun, do fun and do different things you've never done before, right? Um, and it's all about the rides. And Brian, I think you were the first person that I identified with that saw their life moving on, changing, but adapting to the friendships that you had, as you mentioned earlier, the 30-some friends that you have down there, the four of us here and all of the, everybody that helps us. Um, so how has the park visits changed for you from the very first time to now? I'm sure there's still, you know, for me, there's still magical moments and things I always want to do no matter what I got to ride pirates. I got to ride thunder. That's just my, my thing. But as an adult, you start to see, at least for me, I start to see the fun in other things, going to restaurants and experiencing things and shopping or doing some of those off beaten paths or just relaxing and watching the water go by at Fort Wilderness or, or something. Yeah, how about like that. sitting on a bench? Absolutely. Like, like it's, Walt. it's something it's, <laughs> I mean, it's something I never would have done yeah. uh, in my early trips, you know, when it was, I was doing the commando thing and we were trying to get, you know, as many rides in as we could in a day and, or ride the new stuff. And I like the thought of, let me spend 20 minutes here enjoying a diet Coke and a pretzel. Yep. Well, I just watch people enjoying themselves like that's a great part of a trip now. And I mean, it's just something I never would have done before. Yeah, I know we I have a couple of different use cases for the park. I mean, there, there are the times when I go over just with my wife and we have spent, you know, a decent amount of time just using the resorts and the bars mm-hmm. and the restaurants and, you know, on a nice on on those few nice Florida evenings between like November and February, uh, you know, being to, able to walk around food and wine and enjoy tasting stuff or, you know, taking a simple Skyliner trip, uh, hanging out at, at the Polynesian and getting something outside on the patio at Trader Sam's. It's like those are really nice experiences when the when the weather is pleasant. It's very nice just to be out at the resorts. Or, or in the parks and just an, just enjoy the environment because, I mean, they spent also a boatload of money <laughs> on creating these beautiful outdoor spaces as well. So it, it's nice to be able to slow down and uh, and just enjoy the resorts or, or some of the outdoor spaces as well. Um, and then when we're, when we're with our kids, it's a little bit of a different experience. They're, they're not as hard, hardcore as I used to be that, you know, they need breaks between rides and things. So we, we intersperse activities with rides, uh, and, and we get to enjoy the park in different ways there too. You know, uh, they've, you know, they've added more playgrounds and, and more open play type areas as time has gone on. And I think as, as their market has started to, you know, 
has obviously gotten younger. People didn't bring a lot of babies and one year olds and two two year olds to the parks in the in the seventies and the eighties. It was if there were kids, they were always usually four, five, six and able to walk. Um, you know, there are strollers everywhere now and, and some of the offerings have changed because of that. So uh, it's it's been nice to see them also kind of stay with the times and like it's to me it was the weirdest thing in the world that they stick a playground at Epcot outside of imagination every year doing food and wine. But my son, when he was like four or five, is like had a blast on it. And yeah. that was great. That was perfect for him. So really, really I, well, and I think that, you know, it's one of the critiques as they started dropping spinner rides in a lot of dead spaces in animal kingdom and at the magic kingdom ad and the flying carpet. So, and you know, traditionalists, who enjoyed the open area and adventure, you know, just talk about what an abomination it was. And certainly, you know, we love from the old films and photos, those views in Adventureland. Uh, but for kids, I mean, they just think it's the greatest thing in the world to, to hop on the flying carpets and fly around there. And on one of those trips with my nephew, I remember riding the magic carpets for the first time saying, this is actually pretty fun up here, like you know, because uh, uh, I can see both sides of it. The critique side of you know you're you're taking space formerly made for the movement of people and to create an atmosphere and ruining it. Uh, but on the flip side, you know, there's a whole. I always try to you know there's a there's a segment of Disney fans who hate the uh, the Autopia, but it is consistently rated as like the favorite ride of kids like twelve and under. Because they get to drive a car. And, you know, it, it. I try to remind myself as they make the changes they're making now uh, that the parks aren't built for me. You know, I'm a 47-year-old guy who doesn't go with his family. Uh, there are things I love to do there. But, you know, it, it, it's made for the things they're putting in the parks today are made for the demographic of families going today and families that are younger than me and that, are attracted by different things. And I try to keep in mind that that's okay because what it does is it creates a mountain of content for us to continue doing shows about <laughs> things that aren't there anymore because they keep taking stuff out. You know, as I watch a lot of the old films too, I was watching a number of them tonight, previewing them before we get them transferred. And um, I, I think we forget that it was a different time. It was a different way of visiting a park back then too it wasn't it has become a destination right now right it has become a save up and let's go and i'm speaking it's a it's a rite of childhood passage abs- right like it's absolutely and what i want to add is that the four of us and many of the people that we're speaking to are the exception to that they're the exception of the rite of passage the exception to the people that don't go we are the ones that enjoy it. We are the ones that analyze it. We are the ones that memorize it and remember it. Um, to a point preserve of it. Preserve it. Yes, thank you, JT. That's right. That's uh, our, our, our number one thing. Uh, to a point of almost ad nauseum at times, too, right? So um, I, I think our, our take is different on it, and we do have to, to step a little back and say, okay, it, the park itself was different back then. It had a different meaning. It had a different clientele, and that's that's completely changed over the years, and that's okay, right? Um, and look, we're not we're not going to be able to go back and 
do what was there year. Do right. I mean, we, we know from doing the show and the and the impressions we get that there are '70s Disney fans that we hear from mm-hmm. that think that was the best era. There are people that think the '80s were where it was at. You know, when it, uh, there's a, a a huge number of '90s Disney fans who you know when they were destroying a lot of the stuff from the seventies and eighties and updating it for the nineties that loved all the stuff they were doing in the nineties. Uh, so like, and there will be generations after us that, you know, think the big stupid hat in front of the Hollywood theater was the best era of, of Hollywood Boulevard. And, you know, we'll all still judge those people, but, uh, <laughs> you know, it's just, it, there's that, that, that's part of growing older, right? Yep. And there's going to be things that you're attached to, um, just like everything else in life that, you know, you're attached to them and you're going to have challenges with the new stuff. That's, that's normal. Yeah. That's the whole growth thing. Right. And it's like, anytime anybody introduces something new, your first reaction is like, I don't like that. It's different. I don't like it. And then you, that's what you rally with. And then as you stop and process it and take yep. it in, it's like, and start to become more comfortable with it. And then finally you, maybe you grieve for the thing that's gone. It's like yep. you, you, go, you go through all the steps, you know. Yeah. Of, of uh, what is it? That's the seven steps so of bad. grief. That's why Disney and other companies also teach how to accept change. Change is good. Change you need to move forward. Um, I think one of the challenges of the community that we talk to, and I'm sorry if I'm going to offend anybody, but change has to happen. The parks have to change. They have to adapt. They ha- we cannot go back. We cannot rebuild. We cannot bring back. It's just not going to happen. And, um, you know, we have to also admit, too, that Disney has a business. They're not here for the small clientele that we're speaking to. They're not here for the the Twitter folks. They are here to make money. They are here to make their shareholders profitable and make the, the, the company move forward. So you may not like the new fireworks show. You may not like the next ride. But that next fireworks show and that new ride, is going to be what people who are young now are talking about 50 years from now. And that's going to be what they remember and what they're keying off of right now. What are we going to be talking about 50 years from now, Todd? If I'm here 50 years from now, I hope I'm still talking. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to be talking about the applesauce in the home. (laughs) Did you get the whiter straw this week? Because I got the taro one and I couldn't get the sauce through. (laughs) Um, Gentlemen, before we close out, I have have another one here. Um, I have a, a really fond recollection of the excitement of television specials. We've talked about them here. Yeah. We've, Brian, I, 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 I've used your um, explanation of why the, some of these TV specials were so important because it was not just a travel log as we've talked about. Uh, it was also a way for you to see your, the famous stars that you knew from television shows outside of their normal roles or tours uh, or if they were musical guests or something like that. Um, and in the 80s, and even in the 70s, too. Well, 70s were bizarre. We, we know we've <laughs> talked about how bizarre the the television is. But, but in the 80s, you had the Easter special. You you had the, the Christmas parade. A lot of them were done live. You had Regis. You had Kathy Lee. You had all these different stars that were down there. We know they were done for one reason. That's commercialism, right? They wanted to bring you down there to enjoy. Um, but for me, they left a, a lasting impression of what some of those you know, 
important days in your life and in the year really meant. I remember my grandparents calling us up and saying, oh, there's a special on right now about Walt Disney World or them turning it on, um, you know, after we unwrap the gifts, the Disney World parade is on and turning it on. And, um, you know, this is the segment of, of people that we're talking to right now that is post 16 millimeter films at Kiwanis and uh, Lions Clubs and all that stuff, right? This was the next. This was the next best thing before the internet. Uh, we all grew up with it. Although I don't know how. Did you ever go to a Lions Club or a uh, um, <laughs> Rotary Club to watch a sixteen millimeter film? <laughs> uh, actually, I remember. See, he did. He did. I remember my dad. I think he worked for the Bell System, and I believe mm-hmm. he checked out a sixteen millimeter film, uh, like a stop motion holiday thing that I think our church group watched. So I am, I am familiar with the concept. Yes. Yeah. 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 And I remember getting 60 millimeter films delivered to your classroom and you're like, oh my God, it's the day off, right? So exciting. So exciting. The days you'd walk in and the film machine oh, was set Wasn't up. it that between film strip? Also known as a projector. Yes. I don't know why I just said film machine. Yeah, where'd you come from? <laughs> I don't know. Um, but anyway, I, I don't know what you guys, JT, you were nodding when I said grandma and grandpa called you up and said there was a television special on you. You were nodding. So... They were pinnacle for me growing up. And the biggest one I remember was the MGM opening. For some reason, that resonated. The, the dancers in white swinging back and forth. They used that clip ad nauseum for, for years and years. Uh, I remember that one really, really well. And I, I remember another, a number of the Christmas parades. Yeah, we was all, it was always Christmas for us. We'd get the call. I remember from my aunt a few times here and there. Every oh, so you get the remote years. call. You got to put on ABC. Yeah. Yes. And, you know, you wouldn't be thinking that at all on Christmas Day. Like no. TV wasn't the priority at all. And then you'd flip it on and that kind of was on in the background. The other one I remember was we'd get the Disney Channel in the winter. My parents would always make sure to shut it off in the summer. So we weren't Smart. sitting there watching TV. And I remember back then it was like, well, you got to pay to activate it. You got to have it, you know. And then there's also the free previews. Oh, wow. The activation fees. Yes. I forgot yeah. about those. And my mom was like, we're waiting until it's scam. a free activation. Then we're getting it. I remember that. But I don't remember the guy's name, but he always would do the stuff around Disney World. Um, he had the glasses. He was an like a actor, comedian type guy. <clears throat> and he... He did one that sticks out in my mind in particular was what's the fastest ride at Disney World? And he did like Water Sprite, Space Mountain, a few others, you know, and then it turns out the monorail was right. the fastest ride at Disney World. And, you know, he went, it was always something at Disney World, like, you know, the hats of Disney World or those sorts of things. But that was, those were some of the specials I remember that were just quick little bumpers, but still they were, they were out there. All right. Well, gentlemen, we, we need to uh, kind of wrap this up. I mean, honestly, I could sit here for another three hours and talk with you about this because there's so much to capture about what has made Walt Disney World what it is today to all of us. So let's go around the the horn here. And um, JT, I'll let you start. Um, and then I know Brian and JT, I mean, Brian and Howe have something and, and I'd like to close it out. So uh, JT, uh, go ahead. Um, you know, I, I'll just say I think this has been a, a new chapter of my Disney World life, doing, seeing this uh, through with you guys and doing all this stuff i had uh two things i wanted to touch on i one of the the bigger ones and one of the more unknowns was that first event we had where we were scrambling to get pontoon boats and <laughs> hoping they'd rent them to us and some random schlub wouldn't show up and rent three of them before us uh that was kind of a 
a big deal. And one of the, the highlights, I think one of the most fun things we've done in which we talked about on an episode is the, uh, and it really wouldn't have happened without, uh, our event in meeting you guys was when we walked spaceship earth after hours. That was one of my, man, I want to say top three, four of the things I've ever done at Disney world where I've just like, you know, that is burned into my brain as something that was, it was a surprise it was neater than I expected, and even doing it was even cooler. And then on top of it, now every time I walk by that big geodesic sphere, I'm like, I feel like I conquered that thing, and none of you were in here. Like, you know, everybody <laughs> I look at, I'm like, nobody else did this, at least that I, you know, the odds are pretty good that we're one of the, the few people that have actually walked that after hours. So, but uh, yeah, it's it's been a lot of fun, and this is a, a very fun episode, so definitely. Yeah, I could certainly do it. Like I said, I could talk for, talk about this for for hours. Mm-hmm. So, and that was an amazing night. The fact that we were all able to do that together and and uh, it just fortified kind of our knowledge of not only that attraction but other things we learned that night, which was great. All right, well, I'll go. I'll because I spent some time crafting this this one. Hopefully, it's not done. This is your Oscar award. <laughs> yeah, here we, <laughs> here we go. Here we go. Here it is. All right. So, um, and and really, this is to me about. What, what is the specialness of going to Walt Disney World? Um, you know, I, I by no means had a miserable childhood. I, you know, I had a wonderful family that loved me greatly and I had lots of toys and, you know, things to play with. Um, but but in the culture of the 1970s, especially in the early 1970s, there was a real lack of fantastical imaginative stuff in pop culture. Daily life really, for the most part, was mundane. You know, you know, boys, guys were expected to be into watching football on TV and collecting baseball cards. The only real programming for kids, you know, was on Saturday mornings. And, and there were a lot of fun shows, but there were only a very few, you know, that were made for kids with curious minds. You know, our yearly trips to Walt Disney World, we started going, um, we, we went the year before it opened and got to take a bus trip. But we, we went every year from 1973 until we finally moved to Orlando in 1979. And those trips are one of the few things I genuinely looked forward to as a kid. The excitement was palpable. I mean, from the moment that you hit the Disney property line and and the quality of the payment of the pavement on the highway changed, because it literally (laughs) did. There was like a line and suddenly the pavement got lighter instead. Somebody put money into this. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, and from the backseat of the station wagon, you'd marvel as you would pass palm trees and white sand in the medians. Like, that didn't exist anywhere else. I mean, clearly, you had gone to some place that was different from the normal world. I mean, the anticipation of getting there was was terrific. And, and that feeling of being someplace special and different kept just compounding. I mean, you got to ride a monorail, which looked like something out of a science fiction movie. You know, you sat in a big room with birds and flowers and strange tiki figures around you, you know, with a view out of a window of an island with a volcano and clouds going by. And slowly that room came to life as the show progressed and built to a climax where everything around you was moving and the volcano was erupting and it was raining outside the windows. I mean, that that was so different from back then. Bears playing guitar and singing with stuffed heads mounted on the wall like you saw at your uncle's basement coming to life and making jokes and encouraging you to buy Pepsi. I mean, this would all be commonplace by the 1980s as Chuck E. Cheese's popped up all around suburbia. But in 1971, this is really a fantastical experience. I mean, there is 
nothing like this available to us. You could board a moving couch and be transported to Mexico, New Orleans, and Dunn's River Falls, or through the inside of a stone gothic mansion where ghosts were equally happy to party and pop out behind gravestones and scare the poop out of you. Um, <laughs> until finally one of them sat next to you before following you home. I mean, this place was just different. Um, cars would careen out of control through a city town square, crashing through a railroad tunnel, sending you to a meeting with the devil. Witches menaced you with poisoned apples before dropping an enormous jewel on your head. Pirate ships flew <laughs> over London and passed the moon to a place where mermaids and Native Americans improbably lived together with a crew of pirates. Uh, a band made up of both familiar and unfamiliar Disney characters sweetly serenaded you until three crazy birds on a flying carpet swooped in with guns blazing and stole the show. I mean, this place was just nuts. A sea captain would take you on a voyage of a depth of eight zero fathoms to the lost seat of Atlantis, where sea serpents and mermaids guarded golden treasures and giant squids crushed less fortunate submarines' crews as if they were eggshells. Walt Disney World was something so vastly different and unique compared to the rest of the world then. Eventually, we were propelled by electromagnets through a Brazilian-inspired city of the future, uh, we were secured by a shoulder strap and thrown around until we were bruised in a tin can rocket while chocolate chip cookies flew through the stars overhead. Before seeing a future world populated by big screen TVs, video calls with the boss, surveillance, surveillance cameras watching over the front doors and little sisters in cribs. A future we would actually end up living in 40 years later. But we had no way to know that then. We rode in boats past ancient temples and pools of deadly hippos on double-decker buses down the main street of a type of town that our grandparents told us they grew up in, but all we saw was a rundown part of town. Uh, on keelboats and steamships past plastic deer and dogs perpetually watching fish jump in alligator swamp and getting the green light to go along driving while driving little tiny cars uh, at less than breakneck speeds on a four-lane track. Uh, and we got the team membership card from Goodyear to prove it. Um, you could hear all kinds of music from steel pan to fife and drum to banjo uh, to another watered down rock and roll version of Joy to the World. Yeah, for one day out of the year, you could be whatever it was that you wanted to be. An explorer, a pirate, an astronaut, a cowboy, or all of them. You could try new things or stick with the thing that you marked down in your guidebook the last time that you went that you liked. As long as you had a ticket book, you know, a ticket left in your ticket book. That's what made Walt Disney World special to me. It was a place where I got to go for a day each year and experience things I could never experience in my hometown. It opened my mind to new worlds, new possibilities, new cultures, and our nation's history. And as I grew older, I only appreciated these lessons more and more, along with the warm feeling of spending leisurely but fun-filled days with my family. We laughed, we smiled, we got yelled at, and no matter how hot, crowded, aggravating, or tiring the park was, when we walked past the twinkling fairy lights in the trees of the hub, while one you wish upon a star played out of hidden speakers in the bushes, it was the best day ever. Even says so on the shirts people wear now. <laughs> <Right. laughs> 
And that was originally cut down from a glorious finale of three hours by Hal Bauer. So he did some fine editing there. You know, I feel a little bit like I have to follow Michael Jackson. I know, this is Motown hard. 25th yeah, anniversary. Yeah, thing. Like he just Jeez. performed Billie Jean and did the moonwalk exactly. for the first time. And now I have to I have to come in here. Uh, I, you know, I want to talk about our experience a bit as we finish up here. Uh, somebody asked me a question sometime in the last year, year and a half. Uh, one of our listeners, maybe we were on a podcast or I was on a podcast somewhere, and they said, if you could do anything at Disney World, you know, that you haven't been able to do, what would it be? And I I was kind of stumped because in one minute, I was running through the last, for us, seven years now. And, I mean, we have had so many experiences. I, I certainly have, and it... Not just, I mean, renting our own boat <laughs> and Discovery River Cruise, getting our own captain to squire us as close to river country as we wanted to get. Walking Spaceship Earth, you know, the track with the lights on and a guide pointing things out to us. Every corporate lounge on property that you could be in, I've been in in the last X number of years. We had lunch at club 33 in disneyland we sat we've personally sat with the last two imagineers who ever worked with walt um you know and and had personal time with them I, I you know and just around the parks the only answer i could come up with is i'd like to see the castle suite which is something that wasn't built until 2000 seven or whatever it was when they finally built that you know like it was it was didn't exist for 40 years i uh but i like the 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 experiences we have had as a result so many of those experiences i'm talking about as a result of people we've met through the you know up just for me being up in the dvc lounge over imagination i mean people who i've met as listeners as fans of this show who have become my friends are the people that took me up there and said, Oh, Hey, you know, come on up. And it's not a place I could have gone before. So, so many of those things, uh, I mean, going backstage at Epcot when we did our event and being driven around the whole back of world showcase, you know, which is nothing for someone who was an employee there who got to be a cast member for a period of time. But for us, you know, I was never back there. So like that was such a cool experience. And so I think of all of those things, uh, on a on a Disney World level, that experiences we got to have from people who sit and listen to us talk every month, and the work that we do on the website and those types of things, that has really been a treasure. Certainly, I have made some amazing friends, not just the three of you, uh, but I mean, we you are my brothers, and and we talk to each other offline all the time about what's going on in our lives and when we're going through tough times and when we're going through happy times. And that's been amazing because you, it seems like every decade in your life, you probably have different people who are there and we're right in the, uh, in the prime of our, of our period of life together. And so that's been great. Uh, you know, especially during the pandemic, since we're remote, uh, we're remote all the time anyway. So our relationship has been unchanged. <laughs> you know, we, we, we still get to communicate every day the same way we always do without, without really noticing a difference. Uh, but to me, that's really, you know, the, the original idea of the parks was to, you know, as I said at the outset, was to bring people together. And it's still serving that function today for me. You know, great experiences, things I remember, people I love. 
Uh, so what more could you ask for? Yep. And all the stuff House said. Ditto <laughs> <laughs> <Just laughs> that. Did Absolutely. Um, to reiterate really quickly while, why we're all here today and, and how much it means to me is that I, I mentioned 1980 where I got my first trip. And um, the pinnacle experience of Walt Disney World for me was 1986. I could still remember what it meant the music, taking the record home, going to the Centaurium, feeling that it was different than just the Magic Kingdom. And that instilled in me some sort of spirit that I cannot put a finger on to this day what it is or, or how it, but I can just tell you it's affected me to the, I know that I've succeeded when I edit some of the videos for our events if I can continually get myself teared up or choked up or like, psyched up because that's how i felt back in 1986 when i visited epcot that's the feeling that people want to feel when they go to walt disney world or when they feel the music when they feel the beat or whatever is there um what's really interesting is that that trip instilled me to write a book about walt disney world we'll talk about that some other time oh you wrote a travel guide i did and that begot a website which gets us to almost what's a, what's, what's a book uh so it's this thing with them um well yeah ask the phoenicians they can help you out <laughs> his middle name is burn bomb <laughs> burn bomb that's right um you know and that that started disneycorner.com and all this stuff and and discovering my grandparents and fa- and parents had film from their visits led me to look at this from wow okay this is a little bit of a lineage here right my grandparents went first then my parents went then they took me and we started going and going and you know that that's the short story of how we got to this website i think the really important thing here is for the four of us is that ourselves and the listeners have come to identify something in our lives that brings us great joy brings us camaraderie, brings us friendships and enjoyment that uh, we, we may not find elsewhere. You know, for me, you know, you, you don't have your best friends all the time enjoying the same things you do or your coworkers. But to be able to find a group of friends and a group of people, especially the four of you, as Brian said, are the, the brotherhood that we formed here uh, and the common thread that we share in the interest and the experiences that we've been through the sharing that we've done about what we've been able to see at Walt Disney World what we've been able to experience on our own together and continue to share and the fact that the excitement doesn't die in any of us about it we're still willing to tell the same stories to talk about the same things pontificate on what we believe and continue to bring the excitement of what was to our listener base continues to drive me and i hope it continues to drive the, the, the three of you and i believe it does because we wouldn't be here today we've been doing this now for 71 episodes it's amazing 2015 we started gentlemen it's been so we've been doing this for for seven years i never in my wildest dreams would have expected to be sitting here in 2021 with a giant list of things to talk about i never would have ex- thought thanks to Brian to go talk about menus and food or how's in-depth 
knowledge of the most obscure things that we can go down and, and research. JT, your different knowledge of different things and looking at things from a different viewpoint and researching things that that we wouldn't think to research. And 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 I, I just never would have thought we would have made this much effect in the community with ourselves and with what we're producing. So uh, a hearty felt thank you to the three of you. Thank you to Walt Disney World, Roy Disney, Walt Disney, all of you that have created that magical place that we love and endear in our hearts. And um, here's to the three of you and to the next 50 years. And I guess with that, Brian, take us out. Follow the Lake Buena Vista Historical Society on Twitter and Instagram at LBV History and on the web at lbvhistory.org. For all things Retro Disney World, including exclusive merchandise, visit us on the web at RetroWDW.com and on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at RetroWDW. And follow our hosts, Todd McCartney, on Twitter at WDWMS, Hal Bowers on Twitter and Instagram at GoAwayGreen, JT Couser on Twitter at LS1JT and on YouTube at Rubber City Motoring and on the web at RubberCityMotoring.com. And you can find me on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Brian P. Miles. Retro Disney World is the monthly podcast of the Lake Buena Vista Historical Society, a nonpartisan, nonprofit, tax-exempt, 501c3 organization and is not affiliated in any way with the Walt Disney Corporation or any of its subsidiary or affiliated entities. <laughs>